ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, where we talk about the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for continuing to share the Walk Show with your friends in person and on social media. Remember, you can always interact with me or and or the show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or by email. Uh, the information for how to reach me there is all in the show notes. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for providing the music for today's show. For today's episode, I have actually invited Chris Crabtree on to discuss the coronavirus or COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Briefly, I will say my voice probably sounds a bit strange. Uh, I am not actually ill. (laughs) uh, I just strained my vocal cords, and so it it sounds a bit weird. But uh, ironically, that would happen right before recording the coronavirus episode. Either way, this... uh, this, this story um, regarding COVID-19 has hit the mainstream media in a major way recently, but Chris has been following this since the stories actually first started coming out of China in December of 2019. COVID-19 is moving through the world quickly, and truly only time will tell what the, the lasting impacts are going to be. Uh, an interesting consideration from the New, New England Journal of Medicine is that the human genome has changed approximately 1% over 8 million years of evolution. And COVID-19 can do that in a single day. My point just being that there's going to be a lot of uncertainty in the coming weeks and and probably months. Um, So I wanted Chris to come on and kind of share his understanding. As right now, there is unfortunately a lot of sensationalism surrounding this. Um, So without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Chris Crabtree, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be back. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so, I kind of mentioned it briefly in the intro, but the reason that I, I, I wanted to have you on this time uh, is that, you know, obviously the the coronavirus has become a yes. uh, big, big deal. Um, it's something that's been in the media for a while, but it really actually just this in these last week or two, as it really hit the mainstream media, um, this week we've seen the stock market plummet right. largely as a yeah. direct result of that. Um, and there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of information floating around. And so the reason that I, I wanted to have you on is is not to not to gin up fear because I think there's plenty of opportunities for people to find fear if that's what they want, but really to kind of try and cut through to you know to the meat of what it is you could say. Um, I, there's a, again, a wide variety of sources, and this is something that you've been tracking. Uh, yeah, since December, um, when the virus, uh, you know, first hit China. And uh, the reason I became interested in it was because the doctor that initially um, raised the alarm about the virus uh, was reprimanded and was not taken seriously and it kind of delayed their response to it and um, I don't know I just found it interesting to to see you know that response and see it escalate I guess so I started you know going through various sources um, looking through YouTube videos just trying to see like what was out there Um, and you know I'm, I'm not a scientist so I'm not like advocating for any sort of like view towards it um, but I have also felt a little frustration 
in the transparency of the information and like how hard it is to kind of try and see like what is real about it and what is not um but anyway that, that that's where it started um and to give it a little bit of credibility, I am ac uh, academically trained in research methods, so you I do have a master's degree. <laughs> I do try and seek out credible information. And, well, I mean, all you know, know, I mean, you're you're kind of giggling bashfully, but I mean, you know, whatever. That, that that's beside the point. The, the truth is, is that you are actually academically trained, and, and you do have a master's degree, and you have done research. But beyond that, you've actually just spent a lot of time. I mean, you literally every day email me the latest information that you've discovered about this yeah for a yeah. good solid month at this point yeah, yeah. and you I, I know there's one and you, you I'll give you the opportunity to explain it more in just a second but I know there's one particular YouTube channel with a guy that is he's a scientist himself of some sort. Oh, he's a doctor okay yeah, yeah shout out to uh, dr. Martinson over at Peak prosperity. Yeah, done a done a really good job of, of curating the information uh, and helping you know show what's out there and uh, presenting it in not in a fear you know sort of way or a bias sort of way. Just basically saying this is what's out there you know and uh, but yeah you know good information. A lot of it uh, came from him, but of course I checked other sources and verify you know what was accurate because you know if it starts showing up in a lot of other places then right you know. yeah so um so that so, so that's why i wanted to have you on though because i've and i've also you know you you'll send me information and you've sent me several links to those videos at peak prosperity like mm -hmm. you mentioned that that guy makes and i've come back to you and been like oh here's this story that i read or here's mm -hmm. this you know, the the New York Times just this week did a one of their daily podcasts was about the coronavirus, and, and so I sent that to you. And, and but there's been plenty of times where I've bound something back and been like, oh, what do you think of this? And so my point with sharing that is just that, you know, it's not like you found some weird rabbit hole YouTube channel and <laughs> are you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. So so but but I say that because yeah, neither of us are scientists, neither of us are doctors, neither of us are are pursuing this professionally in some way. Um, but I do think that you, because of just how much time you've spent paying attention and researching this, you do just have a lot of clarity on what the information is. And, and frankly, as someone who's known you since we were six years old, mm. um, I've been very surprised at the, the level that you're able to speak about, like kind of the science behind it, despite not being a scientist, right? So, oh, yeah. Which is probably largely in credit to that peak prosperity guy. Yes, yes. Um, and and the, the various medical reports. and Yeah, but, but either way. So enough of that. I just wanted to, to kind of preface it and explain kind of what, you know, kind of frame the, the, the idea of the conversation that we're having here today. Um, and I've got my own thoughts that aren't really as much related to... Um, the facts of the disease itself and maybe more some of the implications coming out of that um, that I see as, as, as risks. Um, and again, the, the point isn't to fear monger, but the other thing is that I think right now there's a tendency, and I, I say this because I've talked to other people and this is their sentiment that they bring back to me, is there's this tendency right now to kind of want to put, people want to put their head in the sand on this. Yeah, and I think part of that is because there's so much information they don't know exactly what they need to pay attention to and not, and so they're like, whatever, it's not here today, right? So exactly. I'm just not going to think about it. And it's like, 
well, let's just get some clear information, and then and then you can go from there. And the truth is, is that there isn't some massive action that you can take today, right? Like, no, not really, no. Right. Yeah. So, so we're just trying to equip people with information. Um, anyway, I'm going to stop talking so much <laughs> now because I don't know nearly as much. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, we can touch on that New York uh, Times Daily podcast mm-hmm. actually, because it was a really good podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the information uh, was on point and in the know. Um, the only disagreement I had with it, and, and it, he might have misspoke, but when he compared, you know, COVID nineteen to the to the flu, um, he was specifically talking about uh, the R naught, which is how fast it can transmit. Um, so R not as a unit of measurement or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the easiest way to explain it is if someone gets infected, how many people will they also infect? Mm. Um, so ideally, you're, you're wanting to get the R not below one, and and this is a dynamic number that that can change. Um, so if it's below one, it means you're not infecting other people. Um, the virus will die out. Um, and so he was quoted as saying, you know, that it was about as transmissible as the flu, maybe a little less. And he might have actually been referencing maybe the Spanish flu, which Mm. is, you know, a higher R naught than the common flu. I mean, the common flu, somewhere around a little bit above one, Spanish flu, we're talking about two to three. Um, but as far as the R naught for... COVID, as of right now, we're looking at estimates well above three, possibly as high as 6.7. Okay. Now, that number can fluctuate because it really is dependent on how many people you're around, Mm. which brings into the quarantine, you know, measures and, and stuff like that. By doing the quarantine, you can hopefully get that down. Mm. That's what China has been doing for the last, what, three months now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two months, I guess, when they finally started yeah. taking action. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, um, if we can get that down, then that would be ideal. The problem with that is across the entire globe, responses have been delayed because of for whatever reasons maybe it's a lack of information maybe it's how that information is traveling that we don't know what's right what's what we should pay attention to but because of the delayed responses um those quarantines and those measures are happening later than they should so that allows the r not to be higher initially so 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 that all that's all definitely interesting and, and relevant let me actually back you up a minute and, mm-hmm. and just to, to, because I think there are probably some people out there who they've heard coronavirus or they've heard COVID-19. Oh, right. And, and so, so what are, what happens generally? And I know there are fatalities and that sort of thing, but what happens if coronavirus shows up? Does your skin melt off? Like what, <laughs> I mean, you know, really yeah. like what, what happens? Uh, well, the reason it's compared to the flu is because you get flu-like symptoms. Okay. Um, and, and that can range, you know, there are several cases of mild symptoms, mild flus, 
um, it can progress into more severe symptoms and it can even progress into pneumonia um, you know attacking the lungs and this is a viral pneumonia infection not a bacterial pneumonia infection so antibiotics don't work mm -hmm. um, so so really the the treatment methods are just making you comfortable um, if you have trouble breathing and there's an oxygen machine available you get put on the oxygen machine but you know you're, you're basically just waiting it out um, I mean various medications are just there to kind of ease the symptoms or make you comfortable but you're you know there's there's no cure well and so I say though the, the reason I bring that up is just you know like we said we, we're not trying to to, to, to generate a bunch of fear or something. And so we're talking about these high transmission rates. Mm -hmm. But it, I, I do think it's also important to put it in the context that, like, if a person was to contract coronavirus, mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, that's not a death sentence, right? No, no. So? No, I mean, it definitely is, uh, as of right now, more, more deadly than the common flu. Right. Um, I mean, as far as, uh, I mean, numbers that we're looking at, Potentially 20% more deadly, probably more. Right. Um, we're looking at, you know, serious complication rates of 15% of pneumonia, maybe 5% looking at ICU hospitalization. Right. Um, the problem is the reporting, and the cases that are coming out and being confirmed seem to be lagging behind what's actually happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean... When, when China started taking action, they, they actually had to build two field hospitals um, to, to try and get, you know, enough beds for these patients. I mean, hospital is kind of a generous term. <laughs> uh, they're more like, you know, quarantine facilities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there, there, there's a large influx of of these cases um, and complications that that can happen. Okay, so so far we understand that it's 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 similar and perhaps maybe a bit more severe than the flu, mm. and can lead to some serious and potentially lethal complications. Right, um, and it's very transmissible as far as we can see. Correct. As of right now, we've got spreading from droplets and aerosol. Um, aerosol is defined a little bit differently than airborne. Okay. But 
I don't know. It, it's very, very close. Okay. Uh, I mean, we're talking about, like, I don't know, the language that we're choosing. Right. Um, but as far as, like, you know, airborne, I mean, we're talking about spreads happening with germs uh, floating through the air after a person talks, coughs, or sneezes. Mm. Um, the germs can then be inhaled uh, after the original person is no longer nearby. So is the difference maybe that, like, aerosol versus airborne, like, airborne, would imp does that imply more that it's just, like, constantly floating around without someone else kind of generating it? I think, yeah, that it, it would be um, in the air for longer periods of time. Mm. But we don't know what that time is. Got you. Um, and, and we have examples of, you know, Diamond Princess, Princess cruise ship, where they tried to enact a quarantine so we have cases where people have been separated uh in various rooms and floors and still having being contracted this virus mm. and not just the cruise ship we're talking about like apartment buildings um you know office buildings potentially you know things like that mm -hmm. not just the cruise ship now arguably the cruise ship may not have had the best quarantine. I mean, you're talking about cruise ship workers. They're not trained in this. Right. You know. It's and, not that kind of facility. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, apartment complex in, in China, residents being separated by floors, confined to their specific apartment, having no interaction with the other person, eventually contracting the virus. mm so it raises concerns of it being able to travel through the air, um, potentially being moved around by the air system, mm. you know, whatever's in that building. Um, but yeah, uh, aerosol transmission, um, as of defined here, um, Let's see, aerosol transmissions uh, defined as person-to-person -person transmission of pathogens through the air by means of inhalation of infectious particles. Aerosols are admitted not only by aerosol generating procedures, so potentially when you have complications of the pneumonia, um, if you need like a ventilating tube or something like that, maybe to help you breathe, whatever those procedures they're performing, uh, potentially you could have, you know, aerosol release during that procedure mm. is what they're talking about there. Okay. Um, but that may be transmitted uh, whenever an infect infected person coughs, sneezes, talks, or exhales. That's mm. also in the aerosol definition. I see. So really the only difference that I can see here is potentially the time that it hangs around in the air. Mm. If it's airborne, maybe it's just around all the time. Right. Aerosol, maybe it dies out at some point. Right. But we don't know what that time frame is. Right. Okay. I guess. So we don't know if someone who is infected coughs, sneezes, talks, whatever it is, in a mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. We don't know if you come back in that room in 30 minutes if it's safe or two hours if it's safe or what that time span is, is what you're explaining. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the, the bothersome things about that's been happening now that it's hit mainstream, you know, media is, um, 
their attitude towards air masks. Mm. Um, I won't say like what major news channel, I guess, but they had their expert on and, and really what he was doing was quoting the CDC, but he was talking about air masks are not necessarily required unless you're sick. Um, you know, you stand to catch COVID-19 by touching infected surfaces, you know, touching your face, that type of thing. It's more contact oriented uh, than in the air. And, you know, that may very well may be true as far as being able to, you know, get it easier that way. But um, for sake of argument, you know, let's say that it's not airborne at all. There's no aerosol transmission. We still have to take into account the period that it's asymptomatic. Um, as of right now, you can potentially pass on the virus 24 to 27 days before you show any symptoms. Mm. So it's a very high asymptomatic rate where, you know, you could potentially have this and not know it. So if you don't know it and you don't know that you're sick, then you're not going to wear the mask per this advice, but still be transmitting it. So, uh, you know, I, and you're welcome to decline if after I ask you this, but if you don't mind, what news channel was that that you saw that on? I can't necessarily remember okay. specifically. Okay. So that's why I was saying I just want no, that, to say. But. That's fair. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't because you were trying to <laughs> be nice or something because I do think it's important for people to understand that major news organizations are not... Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that they don't grasp the full extent of it. Maybe it's that they don't that they don't aren't aren't yet dedicating the time to explaining the full extent of it. You right. know, like you just like the point you just made where okay, fine, maybe it only does happen if you cough onto a table and now, you know, someone else touches that table. Mm -hmm. But if you're not going to wear a mask and you're not going and you don't know you're sick, then that's still going to happen. Right. So, right. Um but anyway, okay. So so go on. Yeah, so I mean, you know, for uh community transmission purposes if we're going to try and you know fight this then yeah it's everyone needs a mask whether you know you're sick or not so are you advocating that you would and i guess you didn't say are you advocating because i know you're not here to really advocate a certain yeah. position but i mean you think it would make sense that everyone in the united states right now today had masks on that would make sense if we wanted to try and stop the spread based on the the data and information that we have from other countries. Unfortunately, I don't think that's possible because every retailer is currently sold out <laughs> of masks. That's right. Yeah, uh, I saw saw uh, stats of that we might have about thirty million on hand. Uh, the manufacturers are, of course, working as hard as they can to. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, get that going. Yeah, 3M, 3M stock's probably worth a lot, <laughs> and if it's not, it should be. Yeah. Because, but uh, you know, we have I think around 300 million healthcare workers. So really, what we need to do is re reserve that for the healthcare workers. I think is where they're coming from. I think 300 million is closer to the total population of the United States. Oh, is it? To be clear. Okay, maybe yeah. I was wrong then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we have a lot of healthcare workers. Yeah, yeah. More than masks, probably. Whatever that number is. Yes. But, um, 
you know, and, and they're going to need that equipment in order to treat these patients. Mm. Um, you know, because there are cases of uh, a lot of transmissions to healthcare workers also, mm. um, you know, in other countries. Mm -hmm. And so they have to take those proper precautions also. Um, now, I was also looking on the CDC site to, you know, kind of sift through this mask stuff and, and what the healthcare workers are doing um, and the precautions that they're taking. And, you know, if, if a patient potentially has COVID, um, they're actually treating these patients in airborne infection isolation rooms. So that's the, the recommended step. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, if we're so confident that it's not airborne and that it does not spread this way, then, you know, why such these measures? Right. Is, is what I'm saying. And so it's like, I don't know, can we, we just like get out with all of the information and be like, you know, this is what we need to do. I don't know. Right. But to your point, there's just not actually enough masks for everyone to take those precautions mm -hmm. anyway, unfortunately. Right, right. For the public, the general public. Right. Right. So, so what, and I, I guess, you know, we talked a little bit already about mortality and, and things, you know, people getting pneumonia, which can be potentially lethal or, mm. or other serious complications that, that are potentially lethal. Um, who is actually getting killed by this virus? Like, who who are the people that are dying from it? Do you do you have that? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, when when it first started taking hold in China, um, I mean, I couldn't quote exact numbers, but it was saying that you know the information coming out of there was that you know people that were elderly and had underlying medical conditions. Uh, were more ex more susceptible to the you know the death rate and the the more extreme complications of it. Um, now that's starting to change. We're, we're right on the brink of seeing information that that differs from that. Okay. Um, along with the the information from China, they were also saying that children seem to be a little bit more immune to it and were not uh, contracting it. Yeah, well, they they talked about that in the New York Times podcast, and they were speculating that because kids already carry because coronavirus is actually a more broad term mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that that like I think the common cold they explain is also another version of a coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. this one specifically is COVID nineteen. Correct. Um, but that that small kids already have coronaviruses within them, and so mm -hmm. that they potentially have a nat a more strong natural immunity to a coronavirus because they're already exposed to that more. Yeah, yeah, like maybe from school or something, like all the, the dirty kids. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I, I think it's pretty common that teachers, you know, like when the school year starts and they go back, like they get sick yeah. pretty rampantly because yeah. um, a bunch of nasty little kids, you know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, as far as that goes, we're going to have to wait and see because now in Italy... Um, we're seeing cases of children. Um, there was also uh, recently a report of, uh, I think it was I Iran. Mm -hmm. Iran, a uh, 23-year-old uh, woman soccer player. 
oh, wow. actually just is dead. Wow. Um, so healthy, young, like in shape, in athletic. Shape. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Um, the doctor who discovered this or who raised, I don't know if discovered oh, yeah. is the right word. <laughs> I meant to mention that. Yeah. But yeah, the doctor who raised the alarm, he's actually dead. And he's, I think he was like 33, 34 or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, when those complications are going to arise and who it's going to target really. Right. We just need more data. Right. So, um, I, I guess, is there, it's, it's weird hearing about, kind of thinking about it because it's, and I mean, I, not that this is a profound or unique thought or something about this, but it's the fact that it's asymptomatic, like it, it, it's kind of like having a tick or something on you yeah. and not knowing that it's there. Right. And then, you know, a month later you get Lyme disease or something, which Lyme disease is really horrible, but. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it throws into uh, a wrench into the quarantine methods. I mean, uh, for the longest time, uh, even after this information was known that we're up to, uh, you know, 24 to 27 days tops of, of this, um, especially here in the United States, we've only been quarantining for 14 days. Mm. Um, there are examples of people um, showing symptoms directly after that, like around the 15th day. And then not being confirmed positive until around 19. Mm. Uh, so after uh, being released from quarantine. Wow. Um, so they're held somewhere for two weeks, and then it's like, well, you seem like you're fine. Go ahead and get out of here. Yeah. And then literally next day, and you're sick. Right, exactly. And and, <laughs> and spreading it. <laughs> this, this whole time. Right. And because the the testing methods say that they're negative. Which also brings up another thing. We can talk about testing methods. Okay. Um, so if you potentially have this, you know, virus, um, the first rounds of testing have been a blood test, fluid, you know, maybe a swab, saliva of the mouth, throat, something like that, that's analyzed. And based on that result, you know, positive or negative, well... China has uh, most recently started moving towards CT scans. Wow. Where they're scanning the chest. Because, you know, um, once you test positive or negative, I mean, you're looking at, I think it was around a 70% sensitivity rate. So there's about a 30% chance that even if you're negative, you know, an error in it, so, oh. so if you're negative, then potentially you still have it. I see. So they took a group of people um, and scanned the chest of about a, you know, a group of like a thousand people or so. Um, they scanned the positive people. They scanned the negative people and compared the results of the CT scan. A lot of the negative people were showing similar chest scans of the positive people mm. so they retested them gave them some time retested them uh, they had to re reclassify I think around 80% of those negatives into wow yeah into positives wow that's significant <laughs> yeah that's a significant error 80% is not right a few right it's most <laughs> and, and uh, we're also talking about a limitation in the number of test kits available. 
So initially when China was trying to go through and do these initial testings, they only had a limited number of these test kits. So they were pri prioritizing, you know, um, hence the, you know, overflow in the hospitals and everything. Um, that's also happening here in California. I think the numbers I saw last were we had like 200 test kits available in California. Um, there was a, a case of a, a patient that was showing signs of COVID and because there was no link, no travel link to China, um, there was about a week delay in getting it, getting him tested. Oh, hmm. I mean, you know, they, hmm. Yeah. I mean, it just seems, it seems like it's a, um, it's a, uh, a unique, a unique circumstance that that I mean, is any country really prepared to to deal with it appropriately? I mean, it just doesn't seem like anyone is actually ready. Um, Singapore, Singapore, <laughs> Singapore is doing the best right now. <laughs> yeah, huh. um, they they have um, taken a really serious approach and. Can you if you have it? Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> but they've been doing a lot of local testing, like mm. just testing everyone, mm. like, and that's really what you you have to do. I mean, you have to just test everyone. Mm. I mean, there's no there's no other way to to try and locate this because of the the asymptomatic thing. Right. You know. So if we're waiting uh, for people to show symptoms or we're not quarantining them long enough. I mean, it, it's kind of like we're just kind of wasting the time on that. So I'm going to depart a little bit from the science here for just a second yeah. um, to enter to, to talk about something that I, uh, this is, to be clear, not a news article. This is some tweet <laughs> that I saw on social media, um, but it resonated with me a lot in its accuracy. Okay. And it, and it goes, it, it's, it, it's to kind of what we're talking about right now, though, about how do you, how do you contain it? And so this is, I'm going to, I'm going to read this post. I don't know if I'll read every word of it, but mm -hmm. I'll give you the gist of it here. Um, so this person says, I, I'm not an expert in immunology. You know, I follow doctors for that. So just yeah. like us, they're not a scientist. Right. Right. But this is what they say. I did spend nine years as a manager at a pizza place that paid better than average wages for food service. And I'm terrified of COVID-19, mm -hmm. not because the virus is going to kill people, but because poverty might. Mm -hmm. So, and I won't read the whole post because it's somewhat wordy, but but basically what he goes on to explain, which I used to work in, in food service for right. a long time, um, and even outside of food service, just have held many jobs that don't either don't have insurance or the insurance they have is is bad right. it, it, and when I say bad for example when I worked in food service actually at one restaurant I did have insurance and paid a monthly premium and cut my finger open down to the bone which you actually took me to the ER yeah, for because it happened at like midnight on a Wednesday or something <laughs> and it was, it was the, the cut was significant enough that I couldn't just put a band-aid on it mm -hmm. so I felt like I had to go get it treated well even with my monthly premium the bill for that finger getting stitches which that's all it was was stitches in my finger yeah was fifteen hundred dollars out of pocket right and and at the time the amount of money i made annually was 
probably less than twenty thousand. Uh-huh. That that's just and, and that's pre-tax. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So I mean, it was just. I mean, it took me like two years to pay that that debt off for those stitches. Mm-hmm. And so the the reason I bring that up, and the reason the point of this this tweet that I had had mentioned is that it it's expensive to go to the doctor in a lot of people's lives, mm-hmm. and it's expensive to go seek treatment. And specifically in the food service industry, staffing is very lean. Right. And so if you're sick. Like, it's not okay to call into work right. if you work in a restaurant. Like, mm-hmm. they, they'll fire you pretty quickly for that. Yeah. And so, what ends up happening is, and not only would they fire you, but you can't afford to miss the hours because you're, <laughs> you're not killing it anyway. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so, the, the, the this person's fear is that due to our enormous wealth inequality in the United States yeah. and due to the ridiculously bad health care system that's a, that's available because it's not equal across the board. Right. There's absolutely some haves and have-nots in healthcare. Mm-hmm. That you're going to have people doing in food service who are serving food to other people yes. who aren't going to call in sick when they start to feel sick. Right. Because they'll go homeless. Like, it's literally that real, you know? Yeah. Because you start missing work, even if they don't fire you, you still have bills to pay. Don't pay your bills. Don't get a stay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's... Um, that's probably the biggest thing that's going on with the quarantines. I mean, people being out of work, um, not being able to have that income. And also from a manufacturing standpoint, like all the businesses that rely on the supply lines. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to get China back to work. Yeah. And I mean, they've been in quarantine for a long time, you know. I did see that Apple announced this week that they're anticipating some of at least some of their factories to return to work soon but but yeah um i mean they're not i mean the ones that are running are definitely not running at 100 percent. right you know but um yeah i mean our society and our dependency on uh the money or you know whatever it may be um it's all geared towards you know keeping us away from isolation Right. And uh, that's going to be really difficult to manage. Well, and like I've seen, I think it was guidance from the CDC talking about that, you know, schools might be closed mm-hmm. for, for quarantining purposes and, and that, that employers should really consider allowing people to work from home. Yeah. But there are a lot of jobs where you can't work from you home. You can't do it. And it's not an option. Yeah. It's not whether or not they want to be nice. It's just literally not. If you work in a restaurant, you can't serve food from home. Exactly. It doesn't work. Well, I mean, and it, for it to be okay, the business will have to just close. Right. And so either way, you're not getting paid. It, well, and businesses don't don't exist as an institution. Like, mm-hmm. they exist based on revenue as well, right? right? So if it's bad enough and the business actually couldn't sustain it, mm-hmm. now it's not just those, you know, there's potentially ripple impacts. From oh, yeah. That. I mean, you know, small, medium businesses. Um, I mean, like, how much cash do they have saved up? Right. I mean, if you can't be in business for a month, do you survive? Well, and honestly, that's, I mean, I think that's a huge majority of Americans. If you can't work for a month, could you survive? Exactly. I think the answer is no for a lot of people. And and to be clear, none of this is to shame anyone or to say that that those people have, it's none of that. It's actually the opposite. It's like, Mm. this is the world that we have created and the society that we've created. 
what are they doing in these other countries? Are, are, are people going to their regular doctors to get these checks? Is it something that the government is just mandating on them? Do you understand how, how that is going currently in, in the other countries that have been doing these quarantines? And well, treating it? Um, well, in China, the hospitals are overrun, uh, which is a huge problem. Um, because that potentially, uh, you know, raises the complication and death rate exponentially. Um, if we can't get the serious cases into the hospital because there's just not enough uh, flow of the patients, you know, getting through them, then, you know, that can easily send the, the death rate 50 times higher. Right. I've seen estimates. Wow. Um, but, you know, and there was, uh, I think for a while there, you had to have, like, uh, some sort of certification or ticket to actually get tested. Um, so if you didn't have one of those, you couldn't get tested. Uh, there was a lot of people that were just not going to the hospital. Right. Um, because, really, if you're going to the hospital, you're just going to be around a bunch of sick people. Right. So... Right. I mean, unless you're, you know, in serious Certain. condition, yeah. you know, you might just stay home and try and ride it out. Right. Um, but yeah, and so that kind of throws or uh, makes the reporting more difficult because, you know, all, there's people staying home. Are they getting documented correctly for the cases? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think the other... You know, something else to, to consider, which we've talked about to some extent already, um, even if people aren't, even if it's not a quarantine thing, and even if death isn't on the table for the vast majority of people, if you're just sick home for a while, and a lot of people have to do that, mm. now we just see disruptions in supply lines, yeah, and in just the broad economy, and so I think that another potential fallout of this is maybe it's not actually the disease that is 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 the the number one contributor, but maybe someone can't get their prescription medication because mm. the company that hires drivers to deliver the medication has a bunch of sick drivers who can't deliver it, and now there's not enough supply. And now when person X goes to the store to get their prescription, it's not there. And now the coronavirus didn't have anything to do with them directly. They didn't yeah. get sick and die from it but they're not able to address their other medical condition. Yeah, yeah, and, well, we rely on China f to manufacture a lot of those uh, medications. Mm -hmm. um, it really kind of just shows the the weakness of our society. Um, yeah, well, I and, think that there's just a, there's a fragility to it that, that I think, you know, unfortunately we are exposed to when things like mass shootings happen um, and, and, you know, those kinds of terrorist kind of attacks and things like that were exposed to, to the fragility of it all. Mm -hmm. um, and there's obviously a lot of war and conflict, so it's not like that everything is peaceful all the time. But but I think you're absolutely right. I think this really does demonstrate how... Um, how, yeah, fr fragility is the perfect word. Just how susceptible we actually are to something that... There's so many things such as this that we aren't really in, in the best shape to be prepared for. And that's why I went on the, you know, I, I, I'm not here to, to be a political pundit. The reason I went on that rant about, about healthcare and how that should be something in your consideration is because that's one example of how 
we could be less fragile if yeah. people had better access to healthcare and more options for that. Well, uh, let me uh, talk about you know what's happening in the U.S. in our in our hospitals right now. Okay. Currently, um, so most recently we have the U.S. Uh, has its first community transfer or transmission. Sorry, of a patient that has uh, been confirmed positive and has no link to China or any travel. Yeah, I saw so so it's like a case that effectively seems as if it originated here in the United States. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Um currently the US ranks near the bottom of tested cases. Um I think we've ran uh, it's documented that we've ran under 500 tests so far. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, part of that might be the the lack of preparedness. Yeah. Uh, there's also most recently some whistleblower who is, you know, saying that we weren't prepared and all that. Uh, that's where we get the number of the 200 cases or test kits available in California. Mm. But um, so this this patient uh, was transferred to uh, UC Davis Medical Center. In Sacramento, California, from an, another local hospital, um, they were treating the patient, uh, and they arrived at this medical center on February nineteenth. Um, the hospital then requested COVID nineteen tests from the CDC uh, because there was no local testing available in Sacramento County. Mm. So they had to get approval from the CDC. Uh, that was not approved until February twenty third. So about four days. Wow. Um, and the positive results, of course, arrived a few days after that. Now, the whole time that this patient uh, was being treated, uh, they were only taking droplet protection measures. Uh, it wasn't until that they were confirmed positive that they were then put on airborne protection measures. Mm. So the whole time that this patient's in the hospital, and being around other people uh, was not isolated for mm. aerosol or airborne type thing because they weren't confirmed positive. Right. So, um, I mean, that's just, it's just really sloppy. Right. Really sloppy. Right. I mean, I don't know. So, right now, uh, it looks like we've got about 8,000 being watched for, for potential virus, I think, in, near L.A., area okay and um, to be clear we're recording this on february 28th 2020 so. yeah so i mean those numbers are just going to go up in california as far as potential people being watched uh hopefully tested if we can get the the, the, the test kits there i right. guess or right or we need to start ct scanning their chests i mean right but we need to start getting those tests above 500 right it, it is what needs to happen yeah because yeah. there's 300 million people. Right. So. Yeah. And do do you, are we seeing it in the United States? Is it localized so far to just one geographic area? Or is it, are there confirmed cases throughout the United States? Um, there are. Uh, they seem to be um, mo mostly coastal areas. Okay. Um, but yeah, there seems to be a kind of a, a spattering of, you know, cases around in various states. But um, California seems to be taking the lead right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
where are we with the, I mean, you said earlier in the conversation that antibiotics are not um, available for this because it's a virus, not a bacteria. So it doesn't yeah. work that way. Right. So the solution for a virus is a vaccine. Yeah. So where are we at with that? Um, complicated. Okay. Um, That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, currently, of course, no vaccine. I mean, they're trying to fast track it as much as they can. Um, but whatever vaccine that we think might work still has to go through animal testing, still has to go through people testing, and then be mass produced for the general public. Right. Um, the closest estimation I've seen is potentially a year. Um, if we're lucky, maybe we'll get it in the fall or winter. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of what ifs there. Because um, there's also this uh, idea here that this virus acts similar to HIV, Ebola, and dengue virus. Um, it has this antibody-dependent enhancement to it. Okay. Uh, which can potentially make a second infection more deadly. Okay. So, so what happens is, um, once you contract the virus and, and say you've recovered, uh, you have these antibodies that maybe have been built up, you know, so maybe you're more immune to it. However, these antibodies actually act as receptors and attach themselves to the cells, allowing the virus to then have a pathway into the cell. Mm. So, potentially, if you get reinfected, it could be more deadly. Mm. Um, the dengue virus is interesting because they've been researching this second infection being worse for 10 to 12 years, somewhere in there, long time. Um, they have just now, within the last few years, figured out the specific level of antibody count mm. that makes this second infection worse. So if your antibody count drops below a certain number, then you're more susceptible to this serious second infection. Mm. Um, so really what that means is it complicates the vaccine. Okay. Uh, we have to take that into account, how that affects, you know, if we build up antibodies are we just opening up more receptors to a later infection making it more deadly mm -hmm. i don't know um but that that brings up other concerns because uh china has along with their quarantine has also implemented a two-week quarantine after you've recovered mm. because apparently you can still test positive so they're not sure if you're you can actually transmit it still. Well, back to the asymptomatic thing. Just because you don't feel it anymore, right? That that with this doesn't mean that it's gone. Yeah, and uh, just recently that was, um, you know, testing positive after you recovered uh, was confirmed in Japan. Mm. Uh, they had their first, you know, uh, reinfection. A woman tested positive again after being just discharged on February 1st. Um, 
So yeah, retested positive. So currently about 14% of people that have recovered are retesting positive. Um, I don't know about that number. You know, it can fluctuate. You know, I don't know where that came from exactly, right. but... Right. So, it's in the United States. Obviously it started, or we think it started in China. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it globally? Is it is it just the United States and China? Uh, no, we're uh, actually we've got about over when I when I wrote this I, it was over fifty countries on the board, but I've actually seen over sixty now. Wow! So um, yeah, new countries on the board within the last few days: Brazil, Ireland, Netherlands, Greece, Austria, Croatia. Iran is interesting because there's a lot of speculation that they're underreporting. Um, it's estimated that they're actually around 18,000 uh, based on st- statistic modeling. But uh, as far as what they've reported, 245, uh, which, but what's disturbing is 26 deaths, mm. which is actually a fatality rate, a rate closer to 10%. Which is insane, right? Yeah. Taking it seriously and considering the information, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, trying to say that we should, we should definitely not panic. I guess is the thing, but I mean, there's just so much information that's coming out, um, you know, from the world, that, I mean, it, we just have to, you know, pay attention to it and try and stay informed. I mean, Germany recently. Uh, said that they can no longer tell where cases have originated from Mm. so they can no longer follow infection chains um now i haven't been able to confirm this but there there are uh rumors i guess you could say that when china locked down the the flights going in and out of china and the u.s stopped taking flights from china a lot of people escaping China went to Thailand first because there were no restrictions and able to get back into the United States. If that is true, then, I mean, we're looking at a lot of cases that are going to potentially show up, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of disturbing. Um, also, uh, there were there are these photos of uh, people in public that are kind of just collapsing. Wow. Um, and, and people around them trying to assist. That that was just in China. Now that's showing up in South Korea and Iran. Oh, wow. Um, 
So, I mean, it's showing up in more And places. do we know were these people asymptomatic prior to that moment, or were they already knew that they were ill, and then... Yeah, you know, we don't know. Don't know. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess it's possible that there could be trolls out there that are just manipulating photos and trying to stir up some stuff. Not, not, probably not from that variety of sources, Yeah, though. I, I don't know. I mean, if it was all one street in Wuhan province or whatever, maybe, but mm-hmm. when it's coming from a variety of countries like that, it seems unlikely that it would be some orchestrated troll yeah. attempt, right? Yeah. Uh, Japan looking at closing schools for two weeks. Um, South Korea has, of course, skyrocketed within the last few days. Last numbers I saw in there was like 2,400 confirmed. Wow. Um, but uh, also, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of people are, are compa- want to say, well, you know, the flu, the flu kills a lot of people, the flu, we should be worrying about the flu. And, I mean, the flu is what it is, but it seems like that the fatality rate seems to be a lot higher. Uh, also, with the reporting, potentially the death rate uh, could be higher because we have about a seven-day lag time from when a patient is confirmed positive to when they potentially might die. Uh, so those deaths are being compared to the total confirmed cases seven days later, which are a lot higher as opposed to what those cases were when they were confirmed positive, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and that may not be happening with every country. I don't know. Maybe my, maybe Iran's math is actually more accurate. I don't know. Right. You know, we don't have, uh, you know, a set way of doing these things or to, to confirm it. Right. Right. So, you know, it, it's, and we we started off and we've said a few times that we're not trying to fearmonger, and then we've only talked about really scary <laughs> shit. Um, and, and, well, and so, but you know, kind of like I'd said at the beginning of the episode, I mean, there's there's not there's not like you said, you should definitely shouldn't be panicking because that doesn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. And there's not you know there's not something you can't you can't go build sandbags up to prevent the flood or something you know like it, it's not that kind of a problem but i think the 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 things i've heard and i think this maybe is from the cdc even mm-hmm. as far as kind of best practices for for what you can do to prepare is you know in lieu of kind of like what i was talking about with prescriptions and again the things that i've said have been said other places too so i'm not trying to take credit for coming up with these ideas mm-hmm. um but because a lot of the fallout from this could be supply line related stuff in addition to whatever the disease itself is capable of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, try and stock up on non-perishable foods. Um, try and stock up on, if you have medication that you need, see if, you, if it's possible to obtain a little bit of extra supply of that. So that if, if for some reason there are shortages or there's an inability what if there's a fuel shortage right mm-hmm. and it's just hard to drive somewhere even right so try and and prepare and not that you should be some doomsday prepper and go dig a hole in your yard and, and build a whole basement out there but yeah just have some things in place 
Um, and then, you know, another thing that we talked about is, is the masks that yeah. are in short supply. Uh, although I wonder if 3M will be hiring soon. To, <laughs> we, to uh, just to touch on the masks uh, real quick again. There's also a difference uh, between what masks are going to do what. Okay. Um, you, you see a lot of people using surgical masks. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess potentially that might be better than not having anything. Mm -hmm. But really a surgical mask is, is only going to keep someone from, that is already sick from transmitting it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not going to protect you. Um, as far as a self-protection, you're looking at something that's N95 N95 certified. That's, that's no, it. November 95. Okay. Um, and also, there are some with valves that will help, you know, uh, you exhaling so it's easier to breathe in the mask. That only works so well because if you have it personally, then the valve just allows you to breathe out oh, still. Which is the what we want to avoid. Right. The point is, is just... Yeah. So I don't know how much, how familiar you are with this technology, but I don't really understand. Like the N95 certified masks have like respirators or something they're calling it or respiration. I mean, well, well, they're referred to as respirators, I guess. Okay. And so I mean, what is that actually? Because it's not hooked up to anything. You're no, not... no, it's not like electronical or anything right. like that. I mean, it, it it's just a, a filter that can filter out 90% percent of airborne particles okay so it's it's like a surgical mask but then it has additional filters on it yeah that provide this additional protection which is very significant and, and they're tighter fitting okay you know because you ideally want a, a tight seal around your face yeah actually so I saw a thing sometime in the last couple of days where um, if you've got they I think it might have been from the CDC but they were showing Mm -hmm. facial hair for men <laughs> yeah, yeah. and what facial hair will, will, will be okay. cause a bad seal yeah. or not. Yeah. You're going to have to shave your little beard here. I, I might have to, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, we get a case confirmed close enough, we're, we're, we might have to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, which is interesting because the CDC uh, released that information, right? That you need to have that for a tight seal, mm -hmm. but yet they're saying you don't need to necessarily wear a mask unless you're sick. Mm. So, I mean, right. I don't know. So no one needs to shave yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. but potentially. Yeah, it's out there. Any other any other topics or subjects that we need to cover still? Um, I don't know. I think that that might cover uh what I have. Well, so, you know, obviously this is going to be a continually evolving and growing story. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is all information as of right now. I mean, the most accurate and up-to-date that we could find. I mean, potentially it might change. Some of it might not be 100% accurate. Um, but Yeah, like, like we said at the beginning of the show, though. I mean, it's not like you just found an article and then we're like, hey, I want to... I mean, it was actually me prodding you to come on the show and talk about this because, <laughs> because I know that, that it's something that you've been researching so much and I thought that you would be able to bring some clarity... And deliver some clear information. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for for having done that. Well, thank you. Um, ho I hope I was able to do that. Yeah. yeah. But but so you know again we we just talked briefly about the 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 things that people can do to prepare and that's really just like you would honestly prepare for an incoming inclement weather or something you know it's, it's yeah. stock up on extra supplies. Yeah. Um, be prepared to not be able to leave potentially or not or if you do leave 
and go to the store and the shelves are cleared, right? Yeah. Get some ahead of time. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you know, if you're going out in public, you want to have your protective gear, um, potentially gloves, maybe even goggles. But you're, you're, you're advocating that today, that people should... No. I, oh, you I mean... mean you mean people should obtain gloves and goggles so that if it comes to that, they have that? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, you know, depending on mask supply, I mean, I right. don't know. I don't know what's going to be available. Right. The thing is, is that the quarantine is going to happen quickly if it happens. Yeah. And there might not be that time to go out and try and find things. Or everyone's going to try and do it and there's not going to be enough. Like, in China, in the quarantine, they're actually not really hurting for i think food and things like that okay um i think they were able to like at least get you know certain supplies in there um i've seen like convoys of trucks like going and delivering food and different things um really what they're short on is medical supplies but, you know, that's being used by the hospitals and medical workers and things like that. Yeah, well, and, and you know, I think probably if you live in a, uh, well, I don't know, I guess it could go both ways. I, I think the more rural of an area you live in, the less supply lines you have into your area. Yeah. And so the bigger potential for a risk there is that your store doesn't have whatever. And maybe it's not food, maybe it is medical supplies or yeah. whatever. But, but again, not trying to, to alarm or anything like that as much as just to say that, you know, if it's if it's something that you can afford to do, yeah. then having a bit of extra supplies is probably in your best interest. Like you said, in case yeah, in case you never know something I mean, does come down. You know, if you have the food already, if you have the things, and the quarantine happens, then you're good. You know? So to touch on on where people can continue to get information is obviously this is a static episode. Um, you know, the the New York Times podcast that, that I we'd referenced earlier the daily the the individual who they were interviewing is is the I don't know what his title is but he's, he's like the disease writer or something for the, the times mm. but he said that I mean he's been covering uh, disease on a global scale for close to 20 years if not longer than that mm. so um, so I think that that, that the New York Times potentially is a, is a reasonable source for that, mm -hmm. but really the 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 website that and the YouTube channel that we mentioned at the very beginning is really where you found to be one of the best aggregators of clear information on this. Yeah, yeah. And that is Peak Prosperity. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Peak Prosperity was um, really good in curating the information and presenting it in a way that you know uh, things that he was unsure of and couldn't confirm. He made sure to let you know. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like, like, there was, uh, I think early on uh, in January, like when this was first hitting China, there was like satellite imagery of, you know, gases that would be released if you were burning a bunch of bodies. And there was this like huge, you know, orange red circle around Wuhan as if they were like just burning a lot of bodies. And there was reports that crematoriums were running, you know, 24-7 and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, he was just, he presented that with, you know, I was, I'm not able to confirm this. This is just what I've come across. You know, you can think of it however you wish. Think for, your, you know, think for yourself type thing. Mm -hmm. But he was just presenting everything that he found. Right. You know. Well, I think, you know, because I've watched several of those videos as well, and I think that the, the thing that stands out to me about it, which is something that I advocate for a lot on this podcast, is 
um, is the dangers of sensationalism. Yeah. And and he is absolutely not sensational at all. He's right. not. But I think that's where that's where a lot of the public uh, is kind of, you know, turned off by mass media right now because they're jumping on this, and it's now hitting the radar, and it feels very sensational. Yeah. Um, but it might not actually be out of context, I guess, because we have three months now of various cases and data that we've watched other countries go through. Right. Um, all through quarantines and various things, you know, so we have all of this to look at already. And, and really, if, if it is this serious, um, China bought us a lot of time by implementing those quarantines. I mean, we're talking about like 57 million people on mm. lockdown. Mm. I mean... That's insane. Yeah. It's unimaginable, actually, yeah. I mean, you're just there, I guess. By them doing that, they definitely slowed it for the rest of the world. And I, I think that's what, you know, the World Health Organization and CDC are talking about when they're, like, praising China for their, uh, you know, due diligence, even though it may have been late. Right. They at least put in those measures to try and, try and stop it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, as I said, Chris Grabtree, thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts on this. And uh, as it continues to develop over the coming, unfortunately, probably weeks and months, yeah. uh, we'll probably have another conversation about it. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks again, man. Thank you. folks well that's going to do it for the show today thank you again so much to chris crabtree for stopping by and recording with us and thank you again to misha zarens for the music as always uh, if you guys want more information again peak prosperity on youtube is a great aggregator of this information that's not sensational so check it out there and remember you can always email me with any questions or comments at walker at the walk show podcast.com otherwise have a great week stay up